A detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Who will buy <laughs> this wonderful feeling? I'm so high. Could we clear the decks? <laughs> Just quiet down. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get this fine audio product started. <clears throat> Stop it, Live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, they say the opera ain't over until the fat lady sings, but all we've got is Paula, who's looking pretty slender these days. We're going to need a lot of Doritos and double stuff Oreos. Also, we're going to need her to learn how to sing opera. Fortunately, we've got our friend Jeremy Frank, associate chorus master at the LA Opera, and he's going to rapidly train Paula to be a bona fide diva. It'll be a little like Rocky, but instead of running and punching, it'll be with singing and snacking. (laughs) Plus, the new quarters are going to replace the states with significant women. And is that fair to insignificant women? We've got some freshly minted ideas. I'm Adam Felber, the man who meticulously conducts the orchestra of this show, trying to assemble a harmonious balance between the flute-like quips, the surging horns of deep insight, and the infernal clatter of Captain Crinkle. And now, please welcome the diva who has trouble containing her epic conversational bombast to just one aria code. It's Paula Poundstone! Hi, Paula. So good to be with you. Hey, Adam. And thanks to tonight's house band returning champ Jan Van Gold on electric guitar from Calso, British Columbia, Canada. Yeah. Ooh, Canada. Oh, Canada. (laughs) Why say ooh, Canada when you actually have the option of saying oh, Canada? Paula, what's new? Oh, Canada. Well, I just got a message. I just got an email from LinkedIn. Saying one person is noticing you. (laughs) Wow. Boy, that'll make your day. Yeah. Yeah, one person is noticing you. So uh, immediately I ran outside to try to find them. Uh Who could be noticing me? I don't even know what LinkedIn is. All I know is that every now and then they send me an email that's just kind of insulting. 
<laughs> Paul, I got to tell you, LinkedIn is kind of the online version of what we attempt to do in our career corner. Bing. They try to find you employment. They try to hook you up with employment. Oh, well, I'd say they're not throwing out a very big net. One person is <laughs> noticing me. It's <laughs> all it takes, though. Just takes one, you know? Absolutely. Yes. I've always said that, you know, Helen Keller only needed Ann Sullivan. Ronald Reagan only needed Nancy Reagan. Yeah. Yeah. Just one. It's all you need. Just one. one. It's all you need. Well, Paula, I got news for you. There's one other person, at least, that has noticed you. Do you remember our Who Will Buy contest? Of course. I'm so excited about it. Yeah. You bet me that that at least two of our listeners not only were in a production of Oliver when they were in school, but they played, played Oliver. Oliver. Right. Yeah. And thus you said, you bet you could get us at least two of our listenership to not only confess to the fact that they played Oliver, but to record themselves singing Who Will Buy. Yeah. Now, I, I was a little skeptical. It's such but an uplifting song. This broke literally moments before we started recording. Tony Anita Hull, step on up to the microphone. Yes, I'm here. Tony, would you read me and Paula the email that you you just received? You sound like Alexander Graham Bell's second assistant. Tony Anita Watson over there. Um, Such a foreign experience. Yes, I'm here, Mr. Bell. It's like contestants on game shows in the 50s who were just so not ready to be on screen. Yeah, yeah. Did yes, you I can w- answer that question. She leaned way in when she said, yes, she leaned down to the microphone. Yes, I am here, Mr. Felber. <laughs> hey, so Watson, what's the email you just got? Read it to us. So it's from Ben Leon. He wrote, I heard the podcast this morning and have been cracking up ever since. I'm going to reach out to my mom and see if she still has the VHS tape somewhere because I was in Oliver as Oliver at the JCC in St. Louis in the 80s. Love the show. Ben. Oh, my God. Ben. Uh, Adam, didn't you want to bet me a million dollars, as I recall? Uh, I did, but 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 wait, wait, wait. He hasn't necessarily fulfilled the terms of the bargain. Tony, did he send along a recording of himself singing Who Will Buy? He did. He sent oh, a recording. Wow. That Uh-oh. is so great. Thank you, Ben. Let's take a quick listen to Ben singing Who Will Buy. Who will buy this wonderful morning? <laughs> Such a sky you never did see. Who great. will buy this wonderful morning? There you have it. Hey, wow. Ben, that's, that's fantastic. A, that's a snippet, all right. You still got it, wow. Ben. Wow. Paula, I want to say this. Against all odds, you are halfway to your goal already oh man i am so excited ben that that was fantastic it's exactly what i was hoping and you haven't lost a beat that's great thank you so much it's a very uplifting song i am uplifted by the sound of of ben's voice he sounded fantastic wow i'm really excited thank you ben and anybody else who played oliver in a children's production of Oliver, whether it was in your school or in children, please get in touch with us and record a, a little bit of the Who Will Buy song. 
And, and yeah, and send it to uh, nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. Send your little snippet like Ben's. If you want to sing a different section of the song, you're welcome to. But with that, I am going to call the Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone book club to order. Oye, oye. Oh, Is there any boy. old business? Is there old business? I can hardly remember last week already because I'm so steeped. In this week's chapters, which were 106 through 115. Yeah, then they were humdingers. Things are heating up in the world of Moby Dick. Yeah, there was that one chapter. I think it was 106. It was a long discussion of whether or not the the whale would go extinct. And Ishmael assured us that it wouldn't. And he had all sorts of reasons for doing it. But um, yeah. And, and, and by the that way, was a little bit of a bummer, given what we know about what's happening to the whale populations worldwide. Yeah. It's like, Ishmael, you could have spoken up. Yeah. He, he, as it turns out, wasn't always right. I'd say the science in this book has been outpaced. It's a little outdated. But um, for those <laughs> yes. of you that are reading along with the book club, if you haven't yet read chapter 106, you can skip that one because it, yeah, it's not, it's not good science. But things are really heating up now on the boat. Ahab is getting even more maniacal. He almost doesn't stop to repair a dangerous and costly leak of whale oil. Meanwhile, Queequeg gets sick and he thinks he's going to die. And he finds himself, he makes himself a coffin. And then he puts himself in the coffin and then he gets better, uh, which is what all of us aspire to. But there's a real sense right now, partly because we're I'm noticing that we're towards the end of the book. But there's a real sense right now that things are accelerating and the ultimate face off with the big white whale is a coming. Paula, your impressions. Well, I've here's my impression of at least one chapter. Stub. Welcome to the Red Lobster, or the Pink Crustacean, as I like to call it. We have a new starter, bacon-wrapped sea scallops on a skewer. Why do they call it a starter, huh? It's more like a finisher. (laughs) It's a heart attack on a stick. Why not just run the skewer through your heart? Starbuck will be your server. Starbuck, welcome to the Red Lobster. Can I take your order? Guest. Thank you, Mr. Starbuck. We're going to split the lobster and langostino pizza. Does that come with anything? Starbuck. Sperm oil. It comes with sperm oil and tragedy. Guest. (laughs) Honey, do you want the sperm oil? I I don't. No, I don't think we want any sperm oil. Starbuck. Any tragedy? I can pack it to go. Guest. (laughs) Kids? Kids, uh, we are all set with the tragedy, but thank you. Ahab, Starbuck, down below. Starbuck, excuse me, I'll be right back. The manager is calling. Ahab, Starbuck. Starbuck, (laughs) yes, sir. Jesus, you smell bad, sir. Ahab, a customer threw up on me last night. Starbuck, (laughs) It's to be expected, sir. You can't serve plates of one greasy food stuffed with another and then deep fried and think no one is going to eventually hurl on you, sir. Ahab, I'm going to find who did this to me. I'd recognize them if I ever saw them again. We're not selling any more food in this place until we find them. Starbuck, but sir, that's what we're here for. It's a restaurant. It's how we make our livings. (laughs) Ahab... There is but one God, Starbuck, and one general manager of this lobster. You'll do as I say or eat the daily special. I think that sums up at least one chapter. 
Um, yeah. Um, which one? The one where Starbuck and Ahab have words. Oh. I think it's when Starbuck goes and tells him that there's a leak and he says he's not, yeah, that, you know, he's not going to do anything about it. That's absolutely right. And, you know, it is interesting that a couple of these chapters are presented as dialogue, although I have to say, I do admire Melville as a writer, but uh, your dialogue is a little livelier. Yeah. Well, I really have a sense of the characters. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think really Melville had that. Um, let's swing it around the horn up to the Simi Valley. Your manager, our producer, and everybody's friend, it's Captain Crinkle, Bonnie Burns. Ooh. What do you think of these chapters, Bonnie? Oh, but wait. I'm here on her behalf. I just came to try and help. You know, I'm known as a person who can work across the aisle and get people together. And I know you've had some difficulties here with the book club. And so I'm here to help and try and motivate you. I've just been with my husband, John, hiking through the beautiful Frontenac Park. You know, we have such beautiful forests here in Minnesota. I was the first woman in Minnesota to be elected senator. So Hold hold on a second, uh, Senator. In case our listeners... Haven't actually managed to process that recognizable voice. This is Senator Amy Klobuchar from the great state of Minnesota in for Bonnie Burns right now. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, I've come from many challenges in my life. I came from very humble beginnings. My grandfather, he worked in the iron mines and my father ran a newspaper. My mother was a school teacher. And, you know, that's what these whalers are. They come from very humble beginnings. And I've always tried to be true to myself and they're trying to be true to themselves. So I don't think you should be judging them too harshly. Yeah, Yeah. I think you're right. Let's not judge them too harshly. Although... And I hope this isn't too harsh. Stubb is kind of an asshole. No, he's a dick. No, no, no doubt about it. Yeah. Humble yeah. beginnings or not. And I got to say, I prefer the whalers that were Bob Marley's uh, backing band. Oh, yeah. There's that one scene towards the end of the book where Starbucks sings No Woman, No Cry. Right. <laughs> And he's got, a, he's got a great backing band of whalers. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, well, thank you for that uh, that insight, Senator Klobuchar. Um, let's back away from her slowly and, and, and not making any sudden moves. And, and go to Sherman Oaks, California, yeah. where hangs Tony Anita Hull. Yeah, so I was really all about jumping back in last week. There you go. But I usually read it right before I get on the podcast to record. Yeah, right. And... My brother and I got into a massive argument, so I didn't get to no. read the chapter. What were you guys arguing about? Whether or not she was going to read. Um, I would prefer not to say, but he hung up on me. That's how it ended. And he's never hung up on me. So I did read chapter 106 last week accidentally. And I do know that Aaron's right. getting a new leg. <laughs> I'm very excited to know how that turns out. Yeah. It turns out okay. He has a dialogue with the carpenter and then the carpenter makes him a leg, I think, right? No, no. It came in a box that said fragile on the outside and he got it. (laughs) Um, It was a prestigious award and it had fishnet stockings on it. (laughs) Oh, I see. Yes. (laughs) No, no, no. Did you read that part? I I did read that part. Yeah. Yeah. And even though the rest of the crew thinks that that leg is in terrible taste, he insists on sauntering around the deck in it. He loves it. Saying that it's a major award. Yeah. Yeah. It's a major yeah. award. Major um, award. <laughs> okay. I love that scene. Well, I feel like we might have just uh, actually had a coherent book club, more or less. <laughs> if you don't count the fact that one of us didn't didn't read the chapters and one of us was replaced by Senator Amy Klobuchar, it's a you pretty- know, just pretty hearing s- you talk about this book, it sounds pretty awful. 
<laughs> Why do you think it sounds awful, Senator? All the, everything you just talked about, I don't like it. Okay. Yeah, you know, <laughs> one of the things I loathe about politics is the lack of specificity. Uh, yeah. You know, like the Republicans like to just say that, yeah. uh, you know, there's a, the Biden uh, socialist agenda when they're railing against him. But instead of saying what it is they like and what it is they don't like specifically about a bill. And I would say that Senator Amy Klobuchar has just given us a little bit of that, you know, that behavior. I completely agree with you. She's essentially saying those 10 chapters were a disaster. OK, wait. I've worked to ensure that businesses have everything they need to be competitive in the marketplace. Thank you, Senator Klobuchar. Thank you very much. We're going to uh, draw that to a close before I have to censure you. I, I just want to point out one more thing about the nexus, the the intersection of uh, politics and Moby Dick, which is a lot of times when politicians speak on the topic no matter what question you ask them, they just have their preconceived talking points. And sometimes it doesn't even touch on the book. Have you noticed that? Yes, yeah. I have indeed noticed that. And I feel like that's what uh, Klobuchar is doing right here. Yeah. She's uh, kind of given her stump speech instead of talking about the actual stump <laughs> on Ahab's leg. OK, I just want to touch on one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Bonnie Burns is really glad that I was here so she didn't have to talk about Moby Dick. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, that's at least on topic. But, uh, Senator Klobuchar, I'm going to have to say you're out of order at this point. You're out of order. Yeah. Um, You know what? Let's censure censure Bonnie Burns for uh, (laughs) skipping out on her responsibilities again. I second that. All in favor of censuring Bonnie Burns, vote aye. 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 Nay. All right, God that's America. it. The motion is carried by by a simple fifty percent majority. <laughs> All right, and with that, I am going to bring this meeting of the Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone Book Club to a close. Thank you very much. And Paula Poundstone, do you have a word for us this week? Adam, I do have a word. It's apersu. Apersu. Upper, actually, apersu. It's a noun that means a comment that makes a clever or entertaining point. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. Part of Mrs. Adams' teaching genius was her liberal use of apersu in her literature class. Huh. It's a great word, isn't it? Apersu. It is, yeah, and it's a great sentence right there. I got to tell you, Paula, I got to be honest with you right here, and I, I I hate to put it this way, but... um. I don't think I'd be able to remember, even with that good a sentence, the word apersu and what it means without some other kind of device to help me remember words. Oh, this is perfect. I have a song, what? Adam. I have a what? vocabulary song. <laughs> good, good God. You mean, you mean like some sort of patter song that will explain the meanings of these words? Yes. Well, by all means, play it. You know what? It's like a savings bank for vocabulary, this song. Uh, here we go. This week's word is pursue. It's a noun that means a comment that makes a clever, entertaining point. A justice system that keeps people in prison for weed stinks up the joint. Last week's word was militate. Militate. 
militate. The show can't go on if I keep saying militate. It's a verb that means be a powerful or decisive factor in preventing something. The tunnel is blocked by a giant dumpling. The week before that, the word was prescribe. It's a verb that means officially forbid something. Let's have no more, not even a little bit of plastic packaging. Going back before that, the word was preponderance. It's a noun that means the quality or fact of being greater in a number, quantity, or importance. You can't have too many people named Hortons. And not long ago, we had pernicious, pernicious, pernicious. It's an adjective that means having a harmful effect, especially in a gradual or subtle way. I've been staring at Twitter the entire day. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, I'm hoping that we'll be able to safely fly again soon because, uh, as I may have mentioned to you, this year's Glockenspiel Festival is in Edinburgh, and uh, I've been asked to be the featured player. Wow. Uh, yeah, and you almost have that song down at this point, so that'll be great. Yeah. A lot of Glock players are covering that song. Yeah, well, you know, you can see why. It's challenging. It shows off their virtuosity, that kind of thing. Yeah, they just had that, uh, was it Miss World contest or Miss Universe contest? The one where one woman ripped the crown off another woman's head. Did did you see that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of women use that song as their talent. Uh, not necessarily in the glockenspiel, different instruments, but a lot of women did choose to use that song. But I'd be careful there in Edinburgh because, uh, you know, those glock players can be venal. They're worse than beauty queens. Yeah, well. Watch your back, and they've all, they've all got mallets. Uh, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll be wearing a face shield. Unlike most beauty queens, they've all got mallets. Yeah, you got to be so careful nowadays. Coming up, Robert Benchley wrote, Opera is where a guy gets stabbed in the back, and instead of dying, he sings. We'll see if Paula can do it without stabbing a guy, for once. Next on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Adam! Yes? One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list, and the sixth one has started a podcast. If that's you... Make 2024 the year you finally checked Learn a Language off your list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. Don't do it. Or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. And Paula, I got to say, I really appreciate the whole like getting phrases that are important to know in that language 
right away, like how to order food, how to ask for directions, how to speak to merchants. And I really dig more than that, the speech recognition technology, because even if some of our listeners think that I have a weird cadence when I am attempting to speak Spanish, (laughs) I am am speaking it well enough for the Babbel app to understand what I'm saying, at least when I do it right, like this. Listen to this. Adios, Carlos. Ya te vas. Si, es tarde. Entonces, buenas noches. Hasta pronto. I don't think you have a weird cadence. I think it sounds great. Thank you. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Yikes. And their football team is fantastic. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Is there some kind of special? Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription. Wow. But only for our listeners at babbel.com slash nobody. If I'm not mistaken, Paula, that is 55% off at babbel.com slash nobody. The one spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com. And then you just add a slash and the word nobody. And it's 55% off? Yeah. Wow. Rules and restrictions may apply. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Adios. Hey, everybody. As longtime listeners know, when Helix Mattresses first started sponsoring our show, Bonnie Burns somehow got the drop on me and made off with the first mattress. But in the intervening years, I have gotten myself a Helix mattress. I've had it for almost a year now, and it has improved my sleep. It has improved my life. I could not be happier. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, which I have, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, which is a mattress designed just for big and tall sleepers, and they even have mattresses made just for kids. Now, if you're like me and you were a little nervous about trying it online, or like Paula, who was screaming in fear of buying a mattress online, don't be. The Helix Sleep Quiz takes into account your individual sleep preference to match you and your partner with the perfect mattress. I took the quiz and I ended up with a great mattress for a side sleeper, the Helix Midnight Lux. Take my word for it, everybody. The Helix Midnight Lux. Oh, don't want to take Adam's word for it. I don't blame you. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula and use the code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Paula. Paula, I invited you over, but you fell asleep. Helixsleep.com slash Paula. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Hey guys, it's Adam, and tonight is January 3rd, and I am picking Giannis Antetokounmpo to score less than 36 points, and James Harden to score more than 16. Why? Because I like beards. Am I putting a lot of money on this? I am not, because I'm not really a gambler, but I am having a lot of fun with Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. 
They're the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, who I would lose to, you pick more or less than two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in, or in my case, not. So I don't bet a lot. With the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James and Travis Kelsey had a 10.5 combo of three points made, plus receptions. Do I get that? Kind of a little bit. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and doesn't return in the second, that player is rebooted. So, it's like an insurance policy. Go to prizepicks.com nobody and use code nobody for a first deposit match of up to $100. That's prizepicks.com nobody and use code nobody for a first deposit match of up to $100. And then drop by and see how I did with the Greek freak and Harden again on January 3rd. My hopes are not that high. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. On this day in unremarkable history, Fred Astaire said, Yes, yes, I know, backwards and in high heels. But do you do it with your schlong swinging like a church bell uvula? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, house band Jan Van Gold. And now, Paula Poundstone. Uh, before this blighted pandemic hit us, you were developing into quite a nightingale, right? We had this fantastic guest who taught you how to sing the national anthem, and then he came back and taught us how to sing harmony. It really felt like your singing career was getting off to a great start. It was taking off. Yeah. And then, you know, then life hit the brakes. Yeah. But as we all start to emerge again, we're starting to realize that, you know, we can do certain things remotely. You don't have to abandon your budding career as singer just because of this pandemic. What's next? in the musical vocabulary book of Paula Poundstone. Well, you know, Adam, I'd like to learn opera. Opera? Yeah. Well, Paula Poundstone, that is an extraordinary coincidence because we have here our friend. He serves as associate chorus master and assistant conductor at L.A. Opera, where he has worked on over 60 productions. He is also a part-time lecturer in vocal arts and opera at the University of Southern California. Welcome our returning champ, Jeremy Frank. Yeah, Jeremy. Here to teach us to operafy. Hey, guys. Boy, that is quite a list of uh, credentials there. Hey, Jeremy, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me back. It's always such a great time. All right, so let's start. How is opera defined? Okay, so this seems like it should be a super simple question, and actually it's not really such a simple question. Whoa! Back in the day, when I was in undergrad school, my friends and I would ask ourselves this question, like, what's an opera, what's a musical theater? And sort of the cheap, poor man's version of that is an opera is a piece of musical drama where all the words are sung from start to finish, and musicals are sung dramas where the songs are sung, but maybe the plot points are made in dialogue and interstitial stuff that gets you from point A to point B. And then you look at the repertoire, not just for opera, but also for musical theater, and it turns out that none of that's true, either direction. Well, what about Les Miserables? They sing that whole thing. 
That's a good case in point. If they sing the whole thing, then it makes it seem like it should be an opera. And most of us define that piece as a musical. A musical that is operatic in scope, perhaps, because the extent of the emotions, the extent of the drama are bigger than what you would expect from most numbers musicals, like a Rodgers and Hammerstein or a Rodgers and Hart musical. And also the fact that its source material comes from actual literature is very similar to the way that operas are. But I like to think of, of pieces like Les Mis as kind of a gateway drug because they sometimes get people interested in opera that is bona fide opera because of the scope. It is such a gateway drug. I remember somebody offered me Les Mis like in an alley on 43rd Street once and I had just a little bit of Les Mis and the next thing I know I was sitting through the whole goddamn ring cycle. Yeah, I remember, you know, because I knew Adam before this happened and he was a different guy. Different guy altogether. Um, so I don't know the origins of opera, but how did it become such a rich people penchant? Yeah, that's also a really astute question. So opera is about 420 years old. It came into being right as the 17th century was dawning. And in history and musical history, we were right at the juncture between the Renaissance, when Europe was coming out of the Middle Ages and learning again about the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans, and the Baroque era. And Right as that happened, this group of nobles near Florence, Italy, called the uh, Florentine Camerata, decided that as entertainment, they were going to reinvent this ancient Greek tradition of doing plays that are completely sung. And in doing so, they took music that had gotten quite interesting. We were getting like super complex music where there was lots of polyphony or simultaneous melodies happening at the same time. And these people who invented opera thought that they would tell a more straightforward story with music that was simpler and completely governed by the emotions that are present in the text. And because they were recreating this thing that they thought was ancient Greek without having any models to actually build it off of, they took mythological stories and texts and that became their fodder for source material. But to answer your question, Paula, that means from the get-go, this was an entertainment for uh, nobles. My understanding, and I could be wrong about this, but uh, Pavarotti, uh, the name Pava meant riches and then Rotti meant the riches rotted. And uh, yeah, it's an idiom meaning fi it actually means filthy rich, right? Well, yeah, it meant that your money may as well just rot because you're mm. losing money by investing time and energy in opera. I can neither confirm or deny. I could be wrong. That's all I'm saying. I could be wrong, but that's that would be a first on this podcast, Paula. Yeah, Pavarotti. You usually nail uh, it. I will have to break out my Italian dictionary or La Boheme, for example. Uh, La. Uh, means very rich, and bohem means throw it away. <laughs> that is kind of funny because actually bohem does mean bohemian and sort of implies these people who are by choice or by circumstance living like, you know, starving artists in Paris. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I have a long and storied background in linguistics, and so it's not surprising that I know a lot of this already. Yeah. All right, so uh, you're saying that 
It did start out as a rich people thing? It did, but uh, there are two big things that kind of happened. One was, I suppose, the sneaky side of things, which is opera found comedy, starting, you know, kind of in the early 18th century, where as, you know, you'd go out on intermission between this serious opera about mythological stories and Zeus and this and that and the other thing, and they filled the time in these intermissions with pieces that they called intermezzi, which were short little comedic plays, operas, that were sung. And those actually took on a life called opera buffo as they became more and more extended and took on the same scope as the serious operas. And those actually played really well to people who weren't part of the nobility. And then the nobility themselves were like, hey, can we get in on this? We like comedies too. So the opera buffo was just like a filler in the beginning. Yeah, like a buffet. Is it like the commercials on the Super Bowl? How some people say they watch just for the commercials, which is just a painful and horrible idea to me. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I suppose that's not the worst comparison, you know, because a lot of that stuff, too, was based on an older tradition called the Commedia dell'arte, where all of the comedy, it's sort of like old-timey Punch and Judy shows, where the characters were sort of stock and the situations they found themselves in were loosely stuff that you could improvise on, kind of. Mm -hmm. But because opera requires singers and an orchestra, that eventually had to be notated. And so it took on a bigger life of its own. Yeah, not a lot of improvising in opera. Well, you'd be um, surprised. Though. Certain <laughs> styles you do. Where did the warbly voice come from? You know, if I were to do <laughs> my impression of opera for somebody, I would immediately grab my chicken neck and go like, oh, where did that come from in opera? Why don't they just sing like, you know, Taylor Swift? Where does that thing come from where you have to go like, oh, okay. so vibrato, she's at, I think, is what we're talking about, oh, isn't it? This is exactly yeah. the right or word. Or the wiggling yeah. chicken neck. Which or is, the wiggling chicken neck. Yeah. Vibrato, of course, is an Italian term. And vibra, which means wiggling. And then brado, which is chicken neck. <laughs> so... Actually, that is, uh, that is, Adam, exactly the right word for it. And uh, vibrato, which just means a vibration in the sound, is actually sort of the default for human singing. What do you mean? You mean that we're controlling our vibrato and if we were just singing right, it would naturally happen? That feels like bullshit. Yeah. It is nonetheless true, actually. <laughs> really? So, yeah. yeah. And one of the biggest things is that uh, commercial musicians nowadays, and since, you know, the earlier part of the century, all have been using microphones for a long time. So, so you're saying if we put Taylor Swift on a stage without a microphone and put a Viking helmet on her head, <laughs> she would, like, get the whole chicken neck warbly thing that Paul is talking about? No, she would go, ew, there's a Viking helmet on my head. <laughs> get the Viking helmet off my head. I'm not sure she would vibrate. And also, she's trained for a long time to be able to sing the way that she does so successfully. But, you know, with some training and some work, she could vibrate, actually. But why do you want to vibrate? This is my point. Mm -hmm. What's the virtue of the vibration? So when done well, 
Vibrating or vibrato adds a little shimmer to the sound, and it, it's something that acts sort of like a, a natural pressure release because opera singers sing so robustly that they're actually putting quite a lot of pressure on the bottom side of their voice box. That's called subglottal pressure. And so as we coordinate the air to be released in an efficient way, the vibrato is something that happens spontaneously. Is it like if I have a, a jug full of water, like a milk jug full of water, and I flip it upside down and it glugs? Um, maybe, maybe. The glug is, <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing is like the glug, you could pour as fast as you could pour before you get the glug. And we could say but that. But if I flip it totally upside down, then. You're going to get glugs. You're going to get glugs. Then you're yeah. going to get is glugs. That, and the warble. Or unless, and instead of putting a Viking helmet on our head, we just turned Taylor Swift upside down. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. I guess what I'm saying is if somebody vibrates too much or in an unappealing way, that's like the glug because I they're see. uncoordinated. Uh -huh. Okay. So they're not controlling their uh, vibration. That's right. They might be sending too much breath pressure underneath the vocal folds themselves. And we actually, in our profession, we don't like the warble either. We want the shimmer, but no warble. Uh -huh. Well, here, here's what's going to happen. I think it's time to get Poundstone off the bench where you've given her a great pep talk here or in the locker room. <laughs> and we're going to get her on her feet and singing in no time. She's going to have that shimmer. <laughs> yeah. So let's get ready for that. Luciano Pavarotti said, opera is one of the most important art forms. It should be listened to and appreciated by everyone. And then he tried to sell me season tickets to the Met and a timeshare in Boca Raton. <laughs> we'll get an opera lesson so that everybody has to listen to Paula Poundstone when we return. The Cat of the Week is Genesis from Chicago, Illinois. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jesus fucks. Get ready for the miracle of Mega, a comedy podcast from the staff of a fictional mega church. And, and not only does he fuck, but he's the best at it. I'm Holly Loren. And I'm Greg Hess. Our characters, Hallie and Gray, welcome a new guest each week, played by some of the biggest names in comedy and podcasting. Like Scott Aukerman, Lauren Lapkus, Paul Shear, Jason Manzukis, Cecily Strong, and Duncan Trussell. I just love to think about that, the light shining down on all those corpses in the water and Noah just going by and maybe, maybe a mom being like, please, we're running out of energy. Can you please let us on the boat? It's completely improvised and it's devilishly funny. Is there any question you have for us about, you know, what it means to live a life in Christ? I guess, how much do you think is bullshit? There's a new episode every Sunday. Listen and subscribe to Mega, wherever you get your podcasts. Best I ever had. Best I Y'all can do it. Y'all can do it. Y'all sing along. We, you know what I'm saying? Here go. Jesus, you the best. Jesus, you're the best. You the best. Jesus, you're Jesus, the best. You the be okay, best never mind. Best I ever had. Best wow. I ever had. 
The spread of misinformation has fueled our cultural divide and increased our collective anxiety about the future. Tackling misinformation isn't a simple task, but it's important. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about Conspirituality, a podcast that's dismantling new age cults, wellness grifters, and conspiracy mad yogis. On the show, a journalist, a cult researcher, and a philosophical skeptic walk into a bar, and the bartender says, no, 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 it's not that old joke. They dive deep into current events such as RFK Jr.'s involvement in mainstreaming dangerous anti-vax rhetoric. They crowdsource, research, analyze, and dream up answers to the problem with, get this, proven science as their ultimate guiding light. I highly recommend you check out Conspirituality's fascinating episodes on creating comedy in the MAGAverse with Jordan Klepper or RFK Jr. flirting with body fascism. And you've listened to a bunch of them at this point, Paul, I know, and you tell me you love it. I, I do. They're, they're fascinating, and my favorite part is they use, wait for it, proven science. Science? And, and if, if there's any kids listening, that's a class we used to take. Proven yep. science as their ultimate guiding light. I love that. From exploring cults to analyzing our cultural and political landscape, the Conspirituality Podcast will help you stay informed about misinformation and help you resist fear tactics. Find Conspirituality on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Jeremy Frank. Jeremy? So as we transition to this voice lesson part, I chose a song for you, Paula, today that is kind of a mix of highbrow and lowbrow because I wanted to make the case that though opera seems super duper fancy, it is actually all around us in contemporary American culture. It got used originally in a lot of the early animation. So if you take a look at Bugs Bunny, for instance, or Looney Tunes, there's classical music all over that, including two very specific opera-oriented episodes with Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny. Barbara Seville. Exactly. The Rabbit of Seville and What's Opera Doc. Exactly. They're amazing. And they don't dumb down the music at all. That is actual music by Rossini and by Wagner, sometimes with, you know, kind of cartoony music interspersed. And for kids, it's super fun to watch. But if you were an opera watching adult who had kids watching it, there were also all sorts of in-jokes there. But it's not just animation that did it. It turns up in all sorts of film, either as part of the plot point, like in Pretty Woman, or we find opera all over in commercials. So if I were to, for instance, play this tune... you might want to buy a Volvo or something like that. Maybe. But sometimes because we perceive opera to be really fancy, like if you're looking at luxury products, they want you to hear that oh. music and associate it with class and elegance uh -huh. and refinement. So the excerpt that I want to teach you today, Paula, goes like this. Let's do a little poll to see who recognizes the tune just by ear. Any takers? 
I know that tune, but I, I wouldn't know the words or what it's from, but I do know the tune. That is amazing. So the tune comes from Carmen, but the reason I chose it is because it featured in a 1966 Gilligan's Island episode. Where what? they did Hamlet, neither a borrower nor a lender be. They sung to that tune, did they not? That is exactly it. And those are exactly the words that we're going to use tonight for this musical excerpt. Oh, fantastic. That's great. <laughs> I'm super impressed that you remember it, Adam. Oh, he's, yeah, I watched, uh, I watched my share of Gilligan's Island. Yeah, he's like an encyclopedia when it comes to Gilligan's Island. It's kind of amazing because they were only on for three seasons. Yeah, but him and his wife honeymooned on Gilligan's Island. <laughs> and I miss Gilligan's Island, um, but it was playing in reruns constantly every day when I was a kid. And also I was um, classically trained as a musician for 10 years, so I kind of know a little bit about yeah. Some of those songs. Yeah. I think it's kind of hilarious because the episode, you know, they're trying to make a vehicle for Ginger to attract the attention of a casting director who has accidentally gotten wrecked on the same island with them before he gets rescued. And the only literature that they've got on the island that they can set to be a musical is Hamlet. So they take these two <laughs> pinnacles of kind of classical literature and classical culture and sing these kind of words with it. It's it's pretty funny. So let's do the scheme that we've always done where I sing it first and then I'll count you off a couple beats and then you can sing it with me. Okay. And we'll go a uh, tiny phrase by tiny phrase. The first one is this. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. And let's do that together. One, two, three, four. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. Excellent shimmer. Sounds beautiful. Let's do it again from the beginning. Let's do it together, actually. One, two, three, four. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. Uh, okay. Do they say that in opera? Fuck. <laughs> Contemporary opera yeah. they do sometimes. One, two, three, four. Neither a borrower Fuck. nor a, a lender. borrower. Sorry, I can't say borrower. Uh, borrower is hard to say. Borrower. It's too many syllables on too few notes. My parents were Republicans. Saying borrower is very hard. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give it one more whirl. Neither a deficit spender nor a lender be. <laughs> I love it. All right, ready? One more time for the top. One, two, three, four. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. Good. And then it goes like this. Do not forget. Stay out of debt. And let's do that together. One, two, three, four. Do, do not oh, forget. Wait. Do do not for wait. Tell me the note. What, what is it? Do not forget. Do not forget. Perfect. Stay out of debt. You do it one more time and then I'll do it. Okay. Stay out of debt. No, do the first part too. Oh, yeah. Do not forget. Stay out of debt. Do not forget. Stay out of debt. Excellent. Excellent. And then we have, think twice and take this good advice from me. That one's kind of wordy. Oh, I got uh, that one. Okay. <laughs> one, two, three, four. Think, think twice, twice and take this good advice from me. That's great. 
And then, guard that old solvency. <laughs> That's where the shimmer comes in. Grab my <laughs> chicken neck. Have, Hold on. That might have been a little warbly, Adam. <laughs> God. All right. Do guard it again, would you? That, guard that. Old. Sure. I'll do it one more time. Guard that old solvency. One, two, three, four. Guard, guard that old solvency. Excellent. Then there's just one other thing you ought to do. And together, one, two, three, four. There's just one other thing you ought to do. To thine own self be true. Three, four. To thine own self. Wait, I think I started on the wrong note again. To, to, to thine own self. To, to thine own self. Ooh, you actually are inventing a harmony part, oh, which is, I, yeah, well, that's, which is yeah. beautiful. That's like it, me. Uh, Peter, no, Paula, Paula. <laughs> uh, to thine own self. Wait, you sing it again. To thine own self be true. Oh, that's why I'm going up, because it goes down. Because it goes pretty low. To uh, let's do just the first note. To, to thine that's it. own self be true yeah excellent to thine own self be true that's it that's it that sounds fantastic i have a i have a gift i could have been <laughs> a, a gift i could have been a beach boy <laughs> i would have been better than mike love i think um, oh boy to thine own self be true that's excellent all right what makes this section of music mm. what would make it sound operatic when i did it well, okay, so one of the things that's happening, you know how I said Taylor Swift sings low Should generally? I gargle while I'm doing it? <laughs> you can that might help. Yeah, yeah. Do you have just something you can gargle with? Let's, let's hear it. <laughs> oh, Len Derby. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Anything? Yeah, I liked it. Shimmery, for sure. Shimmery. It's definitely shimmery. shimmery. <laughs> it sounded like an inverted Taylor Swift. It got my dogs all excited, I'll tell you that. They thought I was drowning. <laughs> okay, say you were coaching Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. Pretend I'm Taylor Swift for a second. Okay. Okay, wait, you're not pretending enough. Think of more money. <laughs> so what would you tell her to do that would make it sound operatic? Okay, uh, let's do an experiment. I don't know if this will work. I actually have no idea. But so you know how we've been kind of singing this song a little bit mm, choppy? Yeah. Some of that is because the orchestra plays choppy. Even in Carmen, they play these spiky, short, staccato notes. But one of the things that we can do to try and promote vibrato, if it's going to happen, is to sing legato, or where all of the notes are linked together. So I'm, let's do the music not the real way that it goes once, but let's do something to see if we can get a little shimmer going for you. Which means we're going to sing sustained, probably a little bit slower, and at least as loud as you were just doing. We'll see if we can trick your body into doing this. It'll sound something like this. Neither a borrower nor a lender be 
And you can tell, even in my pianist voice, I started to actually shimmer a little too. Or you were shimmering. You were, shimmering. You were oh visibly shimmering. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's give it a whirl. One, okay. two, three, four. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. That's actually pretty good. An equivalent in the drama world is sort of like the difference between acting for film and acting for the stage, If you're, especially if you're a Shakespearean actor. If I'm a Shakespearean actor? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Hold on, let me call my cat. Iago, come in here. <laughs> if I'm a Shakespearean actor. All right, so what did I interrupt you saying? Is there a lot of interrupting in opera? Because if there is, I'm going to be fantastic at this. <laughs> there are certain varieties where it's it's going to work perfectly. Actually, that was good. That was more robust singing and more free singing, actually, from a classical music standpoint. You definitely sang more legato. I'm kind of curious to see what happens if we have you do the whole song that way. Let's see how much shimmer you get. Once more from the top. One, two, three. Three, four. Do not forget. Do not forget. Stay out of debt. Good. Think, Think twice. Twice. Uh, uh, twice Think. and take this good advice from me. Good. Guard that old solvency. That's super. I want to stop for one second because you are so close to, like, for real shimmering. Let's add one thing. Sequence? Uh, sort of. Actually, I was going <laughs> to um, introduce the term crescendo, oh. which is the fancy Italian word for get louder. So when we get to the long note, guard that old solvency. See what happens if you increase the energy. It's uh -huh. not necessarily more breath, but it will It's feel. like when you're asking your kid to do something for the third time. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Just Absolutely. the third time you get a little. Yeah, yeah, totally. It has intensity. Let's do right there at guard that old song. Get scene. that shit off your floor. <laughs> <laughs> Three, four. Guard that old solvency. <laughs> so many clapping hands on Zoom right now. Absolutely. That was awesome. And let's finish it off. Two, three, four, go. There's just one other thing you ought to do to thine own self. That is super fantastic. To thine own self be true. You've got that harmony part right in your ear. Oh, it's did so I put good. the wrong thing in again? You did, Damn but it. it's so good, to though. Thine own. Actually, will you do that with me once, and I'm going to sing the other part. We'll okay, just ready? revisit our harmony. And don't listen to me very much. To, to thine own self be true. And we've got harmony.
There we go. That was fantastic. Uh, wow. Woo-hoo. I feel a whole nother branch of career. <laughs> I mean, this was not officially a career corner, of course, but I do feel another tendril unfolding in the spring. Well, from my standpoint, as your vocal coach, I have to say every time I get to come on the show and hear you sing, you are markedly better than the last time I saw you, which is... Though it makes me feel good, because otherwise I would not feel good taking your tens of dollars. <laughs> oh, which... <laughs> I want you to know that I know we've paid you nothing, but that's a, that's a big percentage of what we're making on the podcast. So I should get stock options here. It sounds yeah, like yeah, yeah. Remember, picks and shovels. You want to make money in the gold rush, Jeremy? Can you just give us an end of the opera flourish? You know, one chord, four chord, one chord, four chord. And so Paula can take some bows. Or what about something that's very Carmen? Go ahead. Actually, that's very Bohem. That's not Carmen at all. <laughs> what are you thinking? Oh, my God. You got okay, Bohem me... and Carmen confused? What are you, I, nuts? I Sorry, know, it's the end, Paula. Don't fly off the handle here, Paula. <laughs> no, this is just crazy. There couldn't be two more distant. That's like mistaking a BMW for a ladle. Now, take it <laughs> easy, Poundstone. Not Carmen. everybody knows as much oh. about opera as you. Take oh, it easy. She, she is becoming an expert, <laughs> as you I'm can st- tell. I'm storming by... out. I, I, I can't take a bow. Because I'm storming out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this was lots of fun. Thank you so, so much, Jeremy. Thanks yeah, now, so Jeremy, much. we're going to now take all this information that you've, you've given us, and Paula is going to run it through the old Poundstonator. <laughs> Paula? Perfect. Jan Van Gold on electric guitar. You have sounded so great tonight. I'm going to tell you what the Poundstonator spit out with no background music tonight. Thank you, Jeremy. You've opened doors to me. We learned so much from you. You did all any man could do. I could join the opera in L.A., though perhaps not right away. Of course, I'd stand in the back till I really got the knack. Everyone will fill with awe and shock. Thought that I could only play the clock. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Jeremy. Bravo! He is the associate chorus master and assistant conductor at L.A. Opera, and he's our personal musical teacher, Jeremy Frank, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Bravi tutti. Another spectacular performance. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jeremy. That was wonderful. Coming up, the next time you're pushing 25 cents into a parking meter, do you want to be shoving Abigail Adams in there or Amelia Earhart or maybe somebody less important? Choosing the women on the back of the U.S. quarter when we return. Hey, it's just me, Paula Poundstone. I want to tell you about a headgum podcast I think you're going to love. Fake the Nation with Nagin Farsad, which I've done a few times now. So much fun. You may know Nagin from her TED Talk, from NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, or her book, How to Make White People Laugh. 
on Fake the Nation, Nagin and a rotating cast of her funniest, smartest, and most politically astute friends, people like Samantha B, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Paula Poundstone, Larry Wilmore, <laughs> Margaret Cho, and more. Break down the news, make you laugh, think, and deliver a gut punch to humanity. Wait, do we really want to deliver a gut punch to you? I thought we wanted to uplift humanity, support, (laughs) uh, protect humanity. But apparently Nagin has gone over to the dark side. I'll tell you, I I have had so much fun doing this show. Nagin tells me that one time I role played Naomi Osaka's publicist. I don't recall that at all, (laughs) Uh, but... (laughs) I'm going to have to go back to that episode and listen to it because it sounds funny. Uh, Uprox calls Fake the Nation the perfect lighthearted fit for a newsy podcast queue that needs a little levity. Meaning the news needs a little levity, (laughs) not the podcast because it is very funny. Subscribe now so you don't miss another episode of Fake the Nation airing every Thursday. Find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or, and I hate this phrase, Wherever you listen to podcasts, like none of us would figure that out. Fun fact, back when he was in school, Martin Luther King Jr. received a C in public speaking, mostly due to his extremely uninspiring I have ice cream speech. we're back and Paula we have a brand new segment tonight it turns out and you saw this on the television set it turns out that the U.S. no I heard it on the radio on the national public radio yep on the uh, KPCC their radio station yeah they're terrific and it turns out that the U.S. Mint is soliciting candidates they want all of us to help them decide who's going to be on the backside of a lot of the new quarters that are coming out they want women who have been consequential to uh, the United States history. Yeah, women who've made a contribution to America. Yes, women who've made significant contributions. So I was thinking, Adam, although there are a lot of women who have made significant contributions to America, there's probably a lot more that have not really contributed to America and that maybe they could be on the quarter. Yeah, because we all remember the memorable women. Who's going to commemorate the unmemorable women? I am so with you on that. By the way, the first two quarters are already spoken for. Maya Angelou and Sally Ride. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they have made significant and consequential contributions to the United States of America. But it's time to start lobbying for the other side. So why don't don't you kick us off, Paula? This is women who have not really contributed to America and thus belong on the back of a quarter. Okay. Now, unfortunately, I don't know this woman's name, but, you know, I could go to like an artist at the Mint and probably give a fair description of her. And maybe that's all we need. I'm sure it does. The Mint employs a lot of uh, sketch artists. Yeah. I can do that stuff for you. Yeah. I was on the subway in Boston when when I lived there when I was like 18 and I was very shy and I had just gotten on and the subway started up. Before I was ready and I lost my balance and I bumped into an older woman who yelled at me, well, hold on to something stupid. 
And uh, I would. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I was so humiliated. I actually started to cry. She could be on the back of a quarter as someone who really has You feel like you could describe her to a sketch artist to the point where, where they could draw it and you'd look at it and go, that's her. Yeah, I think I could. Like an angry face with kind of spittle coming off her teeth. And then... And I, I see it with like a subway car in the background. Yeah, oh, that's a good idea. Uh, what, like a strap handle hanging down with no one's hand on it? Yes. That should have been my oh, hand Oh, that there. would look good. And, uh-huh. and the thing is, I was with Mary, who I described to you last week, the manager of the restaurant that I worked at, who I so wanted oh. to impress her. I was trying so hard to be cool. So I would like to see that woman's face on the backside. I bet you'd enjoy pushing that woman's face into a pinball machine. Oh, man, would I ever. And then this might be too obvious and too trite, but I think like say we need really like a ton of quarters. You know what I mean? Right. Say quarters are going like hotcakes. I'm thinking, although it is possible that Marjorie Taylor Greene may have made a contribution to America at one time or another, I would say (laughs) that she has zeroed that out by engaging in the lie of QAnon and, of course, the big lie. So, really, she could have her own quarter miniseries with, like, a different quote from her (laughs) on each quarter. Or maybe, here's, here's another thing we might do, is have some of the Marjorie Taylor Greene quarters actually trade for only 24 cents. That's oh, that's great. great. Idea. And, and then it could say on the front where Washington is, where it says one quarter, it could say oh, yes. almost one quarter. Yeah. Yeah. That's and maybe there great. could even be a little thought balloon coming out from his head that just says, oh, please. Excellent. I'm in favor of that. Well, let's keep this going because we've already got 50 cents. Let's get it up to a dollar with Bonnie Burns up in the Simi Valley. What's up, Bonnie? Okay, well, I actually met this person here in Thousand Oaks, and her name is, I wrote it down, Trancy Firestone. And she came up with, when you're down to like the last part of the barbecue potato chips in the bag, you smush all those barbecue potato chips like, down like with your hand or like a saucer or something and then you can hold the bag up to your mouth and get every last drop of the chips oh wow so you (laughs) smush them and then you get all this barbecue potato powder yeah and then you hold it up to your mouth and you know you can't. Okay, I have two things to say about this. You're right. It's it's not really a contribution to America. So you're right about that. And in that way, she certainly belongs on Washington's backside. But the other thing I want to say to you is that the very popular online cooking show star... <laughs> Rhonda Puckett, yeah, yes. who has a show called <laughs> Cooking with Rhonda. Yeah. I've seen her on TV, yes. Rhonda already had that idea, and uh, Rhonda's suggestion wasn't that you tip the bag up, but that you use a straw and that you suck, <laughs> you can pour the powder into a glass and then use a straw to, to suck them up. Wouldn't that kind of bring the powder into your lungs? Yeah, Rhonda had a coughing fit on the midst of her show the day she was yeah. demonstrating yeah, it. Surprised. So, you know. I don't remember seeing that. Yeah. Well, it's it's there. <laughs> What's your other one? Okay. Well, I have one more thing that she 
wasn't a big contribution. Yeah, <laughs> stack that on top okay, of another wait. little contribution. Do you have a second person, or are you going to continue to slag on Firestone? <laughs> no. <laughs> you have another quarter? <laughs> okay, here's what it is. Is this someone you're close to? No, I. Yeah, ran, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. Uh, I ran a. Maybe you're not understanding this assignment. We've got. We've got Firestone <laughs> okay, on the quarter. Who's okay, your other then, quarter? Okay, I have another one. This is Julie Trang. Okay. This is Julie Trang. <laughs> then I'll shut up. This is Julie Trang. Okay. She, this is what she did. She used to bend over and pick up her dog poop. And then she figured out she could use a pooper scooper and she didn't have to bend over anymore and uh, to get the poop. Wait, I'll say it better. She used to pick up the dog. I don't see how you can say that any better. That was Wait, yeah, honestly, that was kind of, kind of tells the whole story there. Poetry. She could use a pooper scooper, and she didn't have to bend over anymore. Okay, I, you know what? I don't know if we can censure Bonnie at this time. I know we're not an official meeting. Um, no, that's a... Wait, I'm, I'm, calling, I'm calling this meeting to order. Motion to censure Bonnie Burns. Is it seconded? I think that Bonnie's not understanding the concept. Because to me, if you if you compare using a pooper scooper so you don't have to bend over to pick up dog waste and literally anything that Marjorie Taylor Greene has ever said, then... I got to disagree with you, Paula, no, because I think if there's one thing like, I know about the scooper lady... It, that's a contribution, yeah. the scooper idea. It's a con that's a positive No, but it's not, her, it's not her idea. Using an existing convenience is absolutely not a contribution to America. I don't it's think not like she invented the pooper scooper. You know, then she should be on the front of the quarter. But she just learned how to use one. All right. I have to say something that don't anybody repeat ever. Some of the friends that Bonnie has described, I think the fact that she has a friend who figured out how to use a pooper scooper is really progress. <laughs> well, it's, it certainly beats Buffy Firestone. But um, hey, thank you, Bonnie Burns, for that. Uh, but let's go to Tony Anita Hall in Sherman Oaks. Tony, who belongs on the quarter? Yeah, I only brought in one, and that is Sister Carol Ann, my high school gym teacher my uh, freshman year. Oh. She was so mean. And I used to call her Sister Carol Mann. Oh, behind yeah. her back, never sure. to her face. <laughs> yeah. And the sad thing is, I love nuns. She gave me my first attention, and then she gave me a B plus in PE because I couldn't throw a football far. Like, she didn't grade on effort, she graded on actual skill in PE. And wow. it's because of her I was not valedictorian or salutatorian. Oh, Jesus. Straight A student except for that fucking one B plus. Wow. Yeah. She's got it coming. There's one bad nun. She should definitely be on George Washington's backside. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that is not a contribution. That is really not much of a contribution to America at all. Agreed. That's right. I, I can't see how that helped America at all because I think uh, I think helping America would have been having Tony Anita Hall is valedictorian. She actually might have hurt America there. Yeah. yeah, honestly. I did write the valedictorian speech, though, because the valedictorian was my best friend. And she did our take-home calculus final to, for me. While wow. Her speech. Now, you're, now, now you're just on the air confessing to cheating. <laughs> All of a sudden, God damn it, I'm back Tony. on the nun's no, side. We what the hell happened? We got you're cheating. To work. No, we got to work with a partner. We got to work with a partner to do the take-home calculus final. Oh, bullfucking so shit. Yeah, but... Yeah. You didn't do it at all, though. I mean, I feel like that nun might have been right about yeah, you. Yeah, as it turns out. Oh, my out. God, no. 
No, I still. I'm, no. You should have been spending your afternoons learning calculus and throwing a football. I, I, Instead, you're off pouncing around writing speeches for your friends. Yeah, and having them do your calculus. I love it when Tony gets upset enough that no becomes a, not only a two-syllable word, but it ends with an A. <laughs> Noah! Yeah, she, Noah. she gets really mad and she yells, Noah. Noah! <laughs> Tony, I, I, no, I'm going to stand by my other ruling. That was, that was a great one. Yeah. Uh, you brought only one, but you brought a good one. Here's mine. I don't know if I've ever told this story before in the world, but I, I was a Cub Scout in third grade, and our den mother, Mrs. Rogan, was not nice to me at all. She didn't like the funny guys. And um, I, I got a German Shepherd puppy, and, and then I had, my assignment was to make this balsa wood race car. Sure. And the dog actually ate my race car. Oh. You know how puppies are. Yeah. So I show up at the den meeting with Mrs. Rogan, and she says, where's your car? And I said, the dog ate it, and everybody laughed. Because it's a funny excuse, right? It's what kids always say. Right. And she started yelling at me and told me, if I was your teacher, I wouldn't even let you go to fourth grade. I would leave you back in third grade for stuff Whoa. like that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's and intense. Mrs. Weimer, the assistant den mother, who was a pretty harsh woman on her own, just looked at her with an open mouth like, what the hell are you doing? I never came back to Cub Scouts after that. I would like to see Mrs. Aww. Rogan on the back of a quarter. Wow. That is terrible. Yeah. Because yeah. that is not... Really a contribution to America. No. It just isn't. She kept Adam Felber out of the scouts. Who knows how many ladies that might have been able to help across the street had Ms. Rogan not intervened. No, wait a minute. Did she kick you out of the scouts or was your reaction to her harshness to, to drop out? My reaction to her harshness was, fuck this. There's no good reason why I should be spending Wednesday afternoons being yelled at by Mrs. Rogan in her basement. Yeah. In fact, I think that goes for everyone. If anybody right now within the sound of my voice is in Mrs. Rogan's basement being yelled at, get out of there. Just get out of the basement. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be Wednesday afternoon, any day of the week. Just don't let Mrs. Rogan yell at you in her basement. Gather up your Pine Box Derby car and get the <laughs> hell out of there. Oh. Yeah, I agree. Mrs. Weimer should have spoke up, though. And because I didn't want this to go out on a negative note, because this is not negative. This is just people who haven't contributed to America in any appreciable way. Yeah. I want to go out with my second one, which is when I was uh, just out of college, I worked at an alarm company in Newton, Massachusetts. So I worked at ARC, Arc Alarm Systems, and it was owned by an old couple, Alan Rosalie Klebnik, and it was run by Al's, Alan Rosalie's son, Michael Klebnik. And my desk as an executive assistant was next to Michael's wife, who kind of ran the office, Karen Klebnik. And I have nothing bad to say about any Klebniks, except that I don't know that Karen contributed that much to society what she did do is got super duper obsessive about foods in what way if she fell in love as she did with progresso manhattan clam chowder mm -hmm. that would be virtually all she could eat uh... or would eat for months at a time until the one day when she ate it and said you know what i'm tired of this and then would never eat it again for the rest of her life I'm a little bit like Ms. Klebnik. So am I. I know. I, th I wanted to bring her up because, as I said, I have nothing bad to say about her. I just think she probably, for all I know, didn't significantly uh, contribute to America. But I would love to see Karen on the back of a quarter. I think she deserves it. Well, I think that if she was any part of keeping people in Newton safe, then that is a contribution. Oh. Yeah. You know. Oh, that good observation might keep Karen off the quarter, and that makes me sad. Well, you know, she step up her game a little bit. She could compete with Maya Angelou and Sally Ride. 
<laughs> That's right. All right. Maybe she'll make it yet then. <laughs> and, and you know what, what, ladies and gentlemen, they are really literally soliciting submissions over at the Mint. You could go to their website and suggest significant or insignificant contributors to America. Uh, yeah, I think they're only taking significant. We're taking insignificant. They're taking That's significant. That's right. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not pushing this and pretend you didn't hear it from me, but there's something that rings nice about Sally Ride, Maya Angelou, and Paula Poundstone. <laughs> Ooh, that's usmint.gov, I suspect. All right. Well, nobodies, if you have an insignificant, not contributing to America woman that you'd like to see on the back of a quarter, you just send that on over to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. Also, send over. Bitching about how we run our book club or questions or comments. That's the address. Paula, what's going on in your Poundstone product empire this week? Oh, my gosh, Adam. Woo! Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, couldn't be better. It's purring like a kitten. My book, The Totally Unscientific Study of the Search for Human Happiness, has flown off the shelves during this period of time as people look for ways to maintain their sanity during this uncertain time. I ask that people support their local bookstores by buying it from them, but if for any reason you can't, you can get it at my store at paulapoundstone.com. Also, tis the season, of course, for my remarkably soft tri-polyblend t-shirts with the self-portrait on the left breast and the memorable quote on the back, which are also available at paulapoundstone.com. And on Friday, June 11th, I'm going to be in Blacksburg, Virginia at the Moss Art Center. They'll be adhering to all of the CDC guidelines for theater gatherings. I'm going to be there telling my little jokes, and I hope that anybody in the Blacksburg, Virginia area that can make it I'm looking forward to telling my little jokes again. I am looking forward to you getting to do that, Paula. It's going to be good. In fact, they're not just jokes. I like to think of them as a circus of Apersu. That's exactly <laughs> what a recent review said about you. Yeah. Paula Poundstone is a circus of Apersu. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. And if you don't know what Apersu means, just go to the first segment of this podcast. Yeah. So anyways, you guys, I would love to tell you more, but of course... Heidi. Subscribe to this podcast. It's free. You'll get it every week at no charge. If there's a subject or topic you want to know about, as I said, tell us. Once again, that address is nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. And that is our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone, who belongs on the back of a quarter, and yours truly, Adam the Felber, hoping for the dime. Special thanks to our guest, Jeremy Frank. Yeah, yeah And thank you to house band Jan Van Gold. Jan Van. Oh, yeah. Jan Van Gold. Fantastic sound. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Hull. Intern is Carly Patrone. Starbird's production by Land Romo and Sam Dunwald. Yay. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. Whew, that's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? Neither a borrower or a lender be. Boy, Jan Van Gold was fantastic tonight. Yeah, yeah. Her yeah. fans call, it, call yeah. her Jan Van. Jan Van. Yeah. Did you hear the new Jan Van Man? 
Yeah, new jam van dropped. Yeah. Dropping the jan van, dropping the jan van. Jan van. Jan van van. <laughs> Stop and a podcast. <clears throat> a podcast network. Hey, everybody. As longtime listeners know, when Helix Mattresses first started sponsoring our show, Bonnie Burns somehow got the drop on me and made off with the first mattress. But in the intervening years, I have gotten myself a Helix mattress. I've had it for almost a year now, and it has improved my sleep. It has improved my life. I could not be happier. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, which I have, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, which is a mattress designed just for big and tall sleepers, and they even have mattresses made just for kids. Now, If you're like me and you were a little nervous about trying it online or like Paula, who was screaming in fear of buying a mattress online, don't be. The Helix Sleep Quiz takes into account your individual sleep preference to match you and your partner with the perfect mattress. I took the quiz and I ended up with the great mattress for a side sleeper, the Helix Midnight Lux. Take my word for it, everybody. The Helix Midnight Lux. Oh, don't want to take Adam's word for it. I don't blame you. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula and use the code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Paula. Paula, I invited you over, but you fell asleep. Helixsleep.com slash Paula. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code.